Welcome to the X-Men Task Podcast. I'm Sonia. And I am Willie. Uh, this is episode 11. Days of Future Past, part one. Um, before we begin, just a reminder to uh, find us on Facebook, the X-Men Task Podcast Facebook group. Just search us out there. We'll add you as a member. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate us five stars. Leave a nice review. That'd be really lovely. Tell all your friends. And you can follow me on Twitter at Willie Simpson. Um, this episode is another great episode. So we just came off the two Apocalypse episodes, but we are not done with big themes and amazing science fiction concepts. The, yeah. the X-Men writers, in this case, Julia Luald, who runs, uh, or who half-runs the X-Men Task Twitter page and website. Co-runs. She, yes, co-runs. She <laughs> uh, wrote this episode, and it is awesome. Um, this was one of my all-time favorites as a kid. I I taped all the episodes episodes as a kid, and I think I messed the tape up on this episode because I rewound it so many times. Oh wow! Yeah, it's it's really great. Um, I didn't tape it, but I remember <laughs> watching it as a kid and just being like fascinated by the the sci-fi concepts of time travel and. Uh, yeah, well, let's just like let's get right into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it opens up in the year. 2055 in New York City, and uh, which is a kind of a jarring opening. Um, we see the Statue of Liberty, who is not green, but more of uh, the statue's original bronze color, which right. is interesting. And it's like a skeletal-looking... Right, half of it's missing, and its eyeball is, like, chewed out or something. Right. It's really sad-looking. And we see the New York skyline is completely decimated and in shambles and like basically on fire mm-hmm. um so things are right off to an ominous start <laughs> and they were giving no hint of this in the previous episode so i remember as a 10 year old kid being shocked by what was going on mm-hmm. i'm like did i miss like 30 seasons of episodes and <laughs> how are we in 2055 right now and things uh are not um, better the more we see what's going on. We're immediately introduced to some new mutants. Uh, they go unnamed in this episode. Uh, one sort of has like the partial power of Colossus. He turns his arms into metal. Right. And he can sort of run fast and smash things with his metal arms. Mm-hmm. And the other one is this woman who shoots like incredibly dangerous electricity out of her arms, like blinding white electricity. It looks more deadly than Storm's lightning bolts, actually. Yeah, but she doesn't summon the weather. But anyway, no. they're, like, really cool mutants, yeah. and you can tell that they're, like, fighting for the good yeah, cause. Yeah, definitely. You can tell that something is going wrong for mutants right now. And then we see uh, Wolverine, um, who is an old man. Old, bedraggled Wolverine. <laughs> Which, you know, is a, is especially relevant uh, this year, what with the Logan movie. Yeah. Like, featuring, like, Logan as an old man which is a trope that comics likes to go down because of his uh, elongated lifespan mm-hmm. brought on by his healing factors. And um, I just want to say off the bat that this episode might be, thus far, the best drawn and animated episode yet. Yeah, why do you say that? Well, I mean, first of all, the setting of Destroyed New York City is really cool and well done. It sets a tone. Mm-hmm. Um, the details are really nice. Uh and but just looking at old man Wolverine's face, there's it's just like beautifully drawn with his wrinkles and gray hair, and he's he's a little even hairier in a way, mm-hmm. a little more bedraggled, um, and he's got his stubbles a little darker on his face. Yeah, well, they have to show you that yeah. he's old and bedraggled. Yeah, well, that's true. But it's not just like the way it's drawn too. It's just 
the the scenes are set up so dynamically. There's just scenes where, like, the girl who has the the lightning power we talked about. There's like this like awesome shots of her from like uh, shots like sort of like from her from the ground perspective looking up at her she's lighting up with uh, electricity and power mm-hmm. and just like just gr- the action is directed so wonderfully in this episode the way Wolverine and these mutants attack uh, the sentinels that overrun this horrible future world yeah they're um it's just like wonderful robot destruction porn <laughs> the way Wolverine slashes at the, the robots and just like gears and metal and scraps are flying everywhere and things are exploding and buildings are exploding yeah it's just like a really like that is really cool actually it's like you see like the guts of the sentinel as he's ripping into him it's like wires and the electricity yeah it's cool and I think like it's episodes like this that made kids like ignore the fact that the violence is kind of censored on the show I think the writers realize that you know when we have the sentinels we really have to let the characters go nuts on them uh, otherwise, you know, because that—that's the way we can get the most use out of their powers. Mm. Because we can't really see them, you know, destroy humans in that manner. Yeah, so, I wonder if that's why the Sentinels were invented in the first place. What the comic books? No, I mean, why, <laughs> well, not invented, but like why they're like used so much in the the cartoon. You know, is oh, because like yeah. they do allow for why they deploy that them as a as a gimmick or whatever as a storytelling device. Right, why yeah. they choose to use them as the villain yeah. so often. Well, maybe not initially, but definitely by this episode, they I think they realize that it's it's great to, sh- to see the X-Men destroy the Sentinels as much as possible. Yeah, just a little bit, like, anticlimactic if they can't actually do harm. Yeah, and, and I mean, and another thing, like, that's sort of in the background of this episode that I love is the music. Um, you've got, like, just great incidental music themes throughout it's like half and half like uh for the most part it's this weird dark future background music this ominous like techno like 90s style dark theme i i can't i can't really describe it without just you know rambling out descriptions like adjectives like that and then the other half we see bishop he's introduced in this episode he's a famous x-men character from the future Mm -hmm. um every time he's on the screen they default to this like great like addictive blues harp and electric guitar combo you know, uh, and that's just like a great like musical cue for him. It just rambles on in the background, and 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 the and the the dark like techno blues really speaks to the the bleakness of this future world we've been thrust into as children and now adults. Yeah, and yeah. he's a really interesting character, mm. um, and definitely the focus of this episode. I would say oh, I yeah. love that like distinguishing scar yeah, feature on his face it's yeah. like a very long m yeah that starts over his eye yeah. and goes like all the way down his face yeah. it's, and it's hard to tell if it's like a battle scar right. or like well what, but... I, I think as a kid i definitely couldn't tell what it was but mm-hmm. i think it's a tattoo uh that all these mutants get in the future or a scar mm-hmm. um, because they're mutants they get m's uh-huh. and then we see other oppressed mutants they're forced to wear m like mutant armbands right for because they're mutants and right. that's very much like holocaust yeah the, the the subtlety of which it it speaks to the Holocaust without directly referencing it, or you know making a big like a big deal in the sense of saying like, "Hey kids, this is about the Holocaust." Mm-hmm. You know, it's just great. It's just like the right perfect tone, and it really it it teaches kids the valuable lesson of learning about like uh, 
uh, genocide. I mean, you know, and right. yeah, and and factory death. Uh, you know, factories that have plagued humankind in history. Yeah, and uh, they show that, too. Um, stakes are really high. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, I'll fast forward a little yeah. bit, but, like, they interact with, the X-Men interact with Bishop, and they kind of, like, capture him and bring him back to the mansion, mm-hmm. and they're strapping him into Cerebro right. so that Professor X can read his thoughts and broadcast them onto these screens so all the other X-Men can see, yeah. I guess. And um, that's, like, one of the, the first things that they see in his his mind's eye, mm. his memory, whatever, is... Um, like these lines of mutants, like all these like yeah, different colors of mutants being right. like marched into this yeah. uh, whatever imprisonment yeah. camp. You could say that's like a subtle, like just like um, a subtle sort of analogy to the all the victims of the Nazis. Yeah. You know, it wasn't you know obviously uh, Jewish people, but you know gays, homosexuals, political right. dissidents. Uh, you know, people who just outright resisted them. You know, it didn't matter. Like uh, as long if you were an enemy of the Nazis or or perceived enemy, like they were going to just march you into death. Mm-hmm. And in this future world, it's like you get you hit the the diversity of the mutants. You know they're not uh, they're not discriminating either. And you actually you also get the sense through these flashbacks that the humans the robots have turned on the humans as well. So they're you know th- this the central program built out of fear and fear of mutants has overtaken. Um, Humanity too, mm-hmm. which uh, speaks to the idea that uh, following uh, political tenets built on fear and violence will lead you to destruction. <laughs> and it's a lesson that rings true in all eras of human history, perhaps even to this day. It's something that we should always heed. So, thank let's, you, uh, X Men, for <laughs> reminding hope that us. All the viewers of this show could could generalize that lesson. I really, I really, I mean, the show. This episode came out in like 1993. So, yeah, I guess I guess I that mean, didn't really work out. Yeah. but it's interesting because. Like they also show uh, that Bishop. Mm-hmm. I mean, he says outright like he's a mutant, but he's we don't, working for the Sentinels. But he's working for. And the he says, Sentinels. "Oh, they'll treat you fine as long as you work for them and just fall in line." But then one day uh, they said, "Oh, we're done with you." And the, the Sentinels have a conference with each other where they shoot laser beams back and forth I in their that. eyes. That's at how a, they communicate, right? At like a perfect like parallel angle. Yeah, <laughs> and they decide. Uh, Mutant bishop, quota exceeded, <laughs> terminate. <Right. laughs> He's like, oh, shit. Right, which is interesting because we don't actually see him use his mutant powers at yeah. all in this episode. We see him use a laser gun. I think we do see it in one scene very briefly. Really? Yeah, He. I think there's one moment where he shoots at it, like energy out of his arms. The, and his powers maybe. is kind of genetic. He, I mean, g- generic. He As far as mutants Genetic, go. generic. That's a <laughs> Freudian slope. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, you know, he can absorb energy and just shoot it out of his hands basically right. well that's whatever that's shorter. cool yeah, but then yeah. like why is he using that laser gun all the time because he's a badass he's kind of like he's like a proto cable cables uh, from like the year 5000 bishops from the year 2050 so. right okay um, yeah but anyway yeah. the other interesting he, he's thing a about mutant that, he's a tracker i mean so it's part of his like his gear yeah his gear yeah but the other thing that's interesting about that is that like the day that he that the sentinels turn on him happens to be the day that he has wolverine 
with him. Yeah, yeah. Like he's captured Wolverine and those other two mutants. The well, that's how fate works. The steel arms <laughs> and the the electric energy yeah. woman, and like he's got all of them trapped in these cages. Yeah, really scary cages where they they have to lay flat on their back, and if they touch the wire on the cages, they get electrocuted really badly. You really see Wolverine get smoked. When he uh, touches the, the the barbed electric wire, yeah, and you wonder if it's because of his adamantium skeleton conducts electricity <laughs> really well too that that makes it extra painful for him. Uh, yeah, maybe, but, but he also heals from it better. All right, so, Anyways, so yeah. like he gets up to the Sentinels and he's like doing his mission, I guess, mm-hmm. by like bringing them back into that yeah. the Sentinel camp, and, and they turn on him. Yeah, they turn on him. Like they right disintegrate his in. security guard with their eyeballs too. Yeah, <laughs> he's holding the security guard in the air, and they zap it with their eyes. Those and, eyeballs are really useful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they learned a thing or two from Cyclops. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, here we are. You know, it's like there's we've already mentioned a whirlwind of details but like let's just say what's going on mm-hmm. it's the future things are bad the x-men have failed uh you know mutants are being exterminated hunted humans we're not quite f- sure what's going on with them but it doesn't look like the world's a nice place for humans to live either mm-hmm. i mean look at new york city it's it's like a flaming pit yeah uh and there's rodents running around everywhere uh, not that there isn't today but <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not that different from, right yeah uh, well as bishop might observe later but anyway yeah. it's a really bleak terrible world um and to really hammer this home you know before we're, we even know what's going on as viewers we go past a graveyard where wolverine has a really sad dark moment we see all the tombstones of the x-men right in this random graveyard uh, and i have the official uh Jubilee died in 2010. Right. Storm died in 2021. Rogue in 2023. Cyclops in 2032. So those are the the tombstones we see. Um, My question is... Rogue might have been 2033, I think. Well, whatever. Anyways, yeah. yeah. My question is... um, you know, who erected these tombstones? (laughs) Why did they only use their code names? Yeah, true. Maybe you know, Wolverine where are they? did it, you know? Yeah, but, like, are they in the Bronx or something? Like, they've been marched around the city to this detention center. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's kind of like a weird... It's, it's, it seems like the graveyard's right outside the the Death Factory, mm-hmm. actually. So, I don't know. That's just kind of bizarre. Yeah. But the X-Men, you know, did not survive like Wolverine did. Although it's arguable that, like, let's let's do the math here. In 19, this show takes place, let's say, in 1992, this first season. Mm-hmm. Cyclops, let's just say he's 30 years old. So that would mean he was born in 1962. So by 2032, how old would he have been? This takes place in 20... 1992. So he's 30 and 92. So another 40 years he dies after... So he's already in it. He's in it. He makes it to his 70s. Cyclops. Oh, I see. So he (laughs) he might have had a full life. (laughs) You know, it's hard to say if he died through being exterminated. I mean, we we're meant to presume they did by the the drama of that graveyard Uh and how terrible it is. I mean, Jubilee definitely died young. You know, she died in her like her thirties or forties. But you know, Cyclops lived a long time, so maybe he died a hero. (laughs) I don't know why that fascinates me. Yeah. So anyway. we're in this relenting future world, and I just love how matter of fact the whole situation is. They're not giving, they're not giving the audience like a hand in trying to figure out what's going on. And all the characters speak in such a matter of fact tone about what's going on. So Bishop helps Wolverine escape and the other mutants, and they make it back to the hidden mutant base 
uh, somewhere in the city where we meet Forge. Mm-hmm. Now, he's a Native American uh, mutant uh, from the comics. I guess mainly X-Factor. He probably premiered in X-Men in the 80s at some point. But anyway, his mutant power is to invent stuff. He's got, like, incredible, like, inventing intellect or something. So he can build devices and, like, act- part of his body is cybernetic because I guess he lost his leg at one point. Um, so he's, like, a genius. So he's built a time portal. Uh, and Wolverine is very super casual about it, and so is Forge. But Bishop is... Uh, is um, rightfully shocked that they have a time portal. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. You, you rebels well, also, have a working like, time portal? We don't know any of those details about Forge just right. from yeah, seeing yeah. this Right, yeah, yeah. No, episode. that's just me giving some backstory. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't really know what Forge is yet. Um, he's just another sort of... It's a, it's another great example of them using um, sort of mutants from the X-Universe as as cameos mm-hmm. in like a and really great way. And it makes the world way. a lot... Yeah, it yeah. makes the world a lot more rich and believable, even though we don't... Because yeah. we don't know like the backstory of every single one of them, it's I mean, not like a I big mean, deal, right? And for me as a kid, it made me want to like read the comics and see who Forge was and right. like, collect the Marvel trading cards that had his stats and backstory. Yeah, but in yeah. the scope of this episode, we just see that he's an right. X Man. We see like right. he has the outfit on. Yeah, he has the X outfit. He's like the the time porter operator yeah. keeper, or yes. whatever. Yeah, and so um, so immediately Wolverine and Forge are discussing this plan of theirs. Like I said, there's this very matter of fact tone, and the plot is just pushing along at this great clip. Uh, and the, the 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 plot that Forge and Wolverine have, or the the scheme they have, is they want to travel back in time to the '90s, as Wolverine says. Right, which is like a really weird thing to say because it's a that's ten years. They don't. No, no, they no. Call it. It's a it's a span of ten years. They don't they don't say oh, a right, specific yeah. oh, year. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and they like, go back further than ten years. I thought that's what you meant. No, no. Yeah, I right, mean, like, yeah. Yeah, right? They go back sixty years. It's more than ten years yeah. ago from their timeline, but yeah. it's like a span of ten years, and they don't get specific about it ever. Right. And so, like, Bishop <laughs> is like, "Oh, why are you going back to then?" And they're like, "Well, we have to stop the assassination of the '90s." Right. And like, it would never. Nothing would ever be named that because, like, an assassination is something that happens in like. A split second. I don't know. And, like I, I, it doesn't make sense. I, 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 it makes sense to me okay. uh, because um, two ways it makes sense. One, the writers are saying like we don't know when these cartoons are going to air exactly, so we don't <laughs> want to say if it's ninety two, ninety three. Uh-huh. That might be an element. It also it makes it. You know, it's also like saying if you're going, if you were, to, let's say they were going back to stop the Kennedy assassination. I think he could just say, I'm going back to the 60s to stop the assassination. And you'd kind of know what he's talking about. Yeah, but you wouldn't say the assassination of the 60s, even though the Kennedy assassination right. is the only assassination of that time period that, like... Well, no, that's not true. There was Martin Luther King and, uh, yeah, that's right, and Robert that's Kennedy. So there's actually a lot of assassinations. You're right. That, you're actually making a good point here. <laughs> but we might be getting a little lost in the weeds. So I thought it was a, it was a peculiar moment. They're explaining it to... To Bishop, their plan without getting into specifics because it's sort of a surprise. They want to keep all these reveals for later, which we'll get into. Yeah. So Bishop's like, you can't do this mission. What makes you think you can pull the trigger as we see Wolverine grab a gun off the gun rack because he's going to stop an assassination by right. doing his own assassination? Right. Which also is weird. Why is Wolverine using a gun to kill somebody? You've got claws. You could... Right. Again, <laughs> mutant. And it's like, you know... It's just bizarre that... just plenty of people. Yeah. But... And it's bizarre to see Wolverine with a gun. But like very quickly, as the Sentinels are destroying their way into this mutant base... Uh, uh, they decide to switch places, Bishop and Wolverine. It's very fast conversation between Ford, Forge, Wolverine, and Bishop. It's like, wait, let's let Bishop go. He's younger. Wolverine, you've, you're old. You've lost a step. Although all we've seen from this episode is Wolverine's really handling himself yeah, as he's a super still a old man. It yeah, really doesn't make I don't, a I don't get but... what they're talking about. 
Um, but Bishop goes in Wolverine's stead. And here, uh, you know, one of the greatest tropes in X-Men is time travel. Yeah. And here we get our real first taste. It's, it was hinted before with Cable, but now here's our first direct usage of it. Um, I love this time machine that he, like, jumps into, like, this between these two, like, pl- like, um, it's like sparkly yellow energy planes. Right, that are sort of like bisected with uh, like par- parallelograms or something that yeah. he dives into the middle of. He's suspended between these two energy fields. And then he falls in like, he falls in like a, a, a multicolored colored like a circle folding, folding in on itself. Yeah. And he disappears like television static in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And, yeah. and he, the like, animation on that is really cool. Yeah. And he lands in. Like he he does like like a triple somersault out of the sky, landing in some like burned out uh, back alley in New York City. And like you said before, it's like first he realize first he doesn't think it works, and he thinks he's still in the future or the present, right. their present. But it's just a shitty part of New York City. Yeah. And he say, he he. It's funny to see his um his observations. A lot of this again stolen by Brian Singer in the X Men movies. This is almost beat for beat seen in uh, X Men Days of Future Past. Oh yeah, by the way, they... <laughs> <laughs> right. That even the title is the same. Right. Well, that, that's cool. Right. In the movie, Wolverine goes back to the past, uh, but uh, to stop an assassination. But uh, this time it's Bishop, and you know he he sees children, and he says, uh, I wrote it down here. Um, let me see. He says, children in the street in daylight. And it's like, that just led me to think like that last part where he says in daylight was like, he's most shocked about. Yeah. So in the future, like why, especially in daylight, can children not play outside? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's just really bizarre. Like at night, can children play? Like does, maybe that makes really more know. sense. It's like, because they're more hidden from like robot murderers. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know either. But like, it's just another fun detail. Like you're saying though, like, uh, Everything that's happening in this episode is like pretty minimally explained, and I actually yeah. really like that oh, yeah, because great. Yeah. I feel like modern cartoons and uh, you know animated series and things are really like overexplained. Yeah, and I I think that's like a little bit of of an insult to the modern day like kid viewer. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like yeah. they could be let, figuring things out. Let kids <laughs> use their imagination, and and we yeah. get another, and we see the kids running around with. A cartridge. Not. I always thought it was a cassette tape. It looks like a cassette tape. They say, "Let's go play our latest cartridge, Assassin." And the Punisher is on the artwork of this cartridge. Yeah. So it just. The only reason I'm talking about cartridges versus cassette tapes, it's like it looks like it's a music tape, like a cassette tape, but it might be a video game. But anyway, it's another like here we see the Punisher in a, in a cameo, right. and it's just like. It makes the universe more whole. Yeah, and you're like, oh, man, is that the Punisher? Yeah, <laughs> I had that video game, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, and this is the era where, you know, Marvel controlled all their own copyrights, or at least whoever was creating this property, which was, I guess, a combination of Fox and Saban. They, you know, had full access to the Marvel library, so they could use characters from across different like copyright worlds like the Punisher or the Fantastic Four or yeah. you know they, this was like a true Marvel work where we see the full Marvel universe in one place the good old days yeah the good old days before corporate uh, you know bifurcation or something mm. um, anyway so Bishop is lost and confused in the new world he sees Professor X in the front of a newspaper and this speaks to Professor X's uh, fame and status in the world I think which is worth noting I think for future episodes yeah but also he is a little confused when he gets 
to the past. Like he's kind of forgotten the reason he got there, and I don't know if it's yeah. because of the time travel. He's got time travel or, amnesia. I think that's fair. Yeah, or <laughs> he like, but fair... he also like lands really hard. Yeah. so like he, you know, kind right. of smashes his head in the pavement on and, the way. And in. And he's got and... this eye watch that tells him the mission, but it seems kind of scrambled and broken. Yeah, yeah, and so <laughs> so he doesn't really know what's going on. So it's hard for like, him to get his bearings. Seeing that newspaper starts to jog his memory, and he's like, "Oh right, I have to go like find the X Men. I have and... to kill them all." Right. So he immediately hijacks a bus. <laughs> <laughs> just like everyone's terrified, and he just seemed awkwardly driving the bus from downtown Manhattan or wherever to Up Salem, to but, yeah, Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, I mean, yeah, Westchester, New York, um, and and then you know. There's a brief but important scene in the midst of all this where we visit Beast in prison again. It's another, like, let's go see Beast in prison moment. And Gambit and Rogue are visiting him this time. And uh, it's worth noting that uh, Rogue gives uh, Gambit I mean, not Gambit. Rogue gives Beast um, a Thomas Thomas Wolf book. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the book? You can't go home. Oh yeah, you can't go home again, yeah. or something. Or you can't go home. Anyway, she. That, so that. That's, Why is that worth noting? Um, well, I know nothing about the book, <laughs> but the author Thomas Wolf Wolf Beast, that, <laughs> and also you can't go home. He's in prison, so it's kind of like eh. just like real obvious. All right. Yeah, I yeah, know that. That's <laughs> without me being a literary expert. That's a weak uh, mention, but we get some important uh, backstory on Gambit. Um, he's incredibly uncomfortable being in this jail with Beast. And at, at one point, he's, like, grabbing the bars and just charging up his energy because he wants to blow the prison walls. And Beast is like, calm down. And he just rips open the bars and lets Gambit, like, walk out and yeah. closes them again. And then he bends them back to where they yeah. were. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funny. And, and, you know, and Beast lets out some, some backstory in Gambit. He's like, it looks like Gambit might have had some, you know, bad times in prison. He's not comfortable here. And... um and that's just important to to establish too. I always thought that was like a <laughs> that's weird your aside. gentle beast voice. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my gentle beast voice. <laughs> I, I don't have the erudition. What's erudition? <laughs> I'm not smart like Sounds beast. Sounds like you're uh, you're hosting like the classical music hour on NPR. Or yeah. Something. Well, beast would be in another life. Beast would have been a great NPR host. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's important for Beast to establish Gambit's criminal past. Um, as we'll see later on, that Gambit is a thief. You know, he's right. on, he's been on the, the wrong side of the track. So there's something odd about Gambit. Um, he's not just a regular hero. Um, anyway, uh, back to Bishop. He's he takes his New York City bus. He slams it through the uh, the X Mansion right into the lobby there. He he takes out Cyclops and Storm. He he actually uh, he shoots um, he shoots Storm right in the chest. And she doesn't die. It turns out later his gun was set to stun. I guess he forgot to reset his gun. Yeah, I was wondering about that, too, because I thought, like, he was going in there with the intention of killing all the X-Men because yeah. he couldn't remember who the assassin was that he was after. I, I, so I he think, figured... like, because he's got amnesia, he's just forgot to set his gun. All right. And he's, like, clearly insane. That's sloppy. Well, I don't know. I mean, Like I said, I think I'm blaming it on time, on. time amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> so Bishop is making quite the introduction to the X-Men. And to me, like, there's an awkward transition where Wolverine's about to kill him, uh, and Professor X stops him with, like, an odd sentence. He says, stop it. Killing him won't answer any of my questions. As if, (laughs) like, out of nowhere, like, as if, uh, you know, Professor X... X had been meeting to ask him questions before right. he was destroying their house. Yeah, like, it's I don't weird. know, but that, that, it's funny. Well, it's also perfectly in character, so it's not actually that weird. It's just right, you know. 
And here we get to the point where Professor X straps him into the Cerebro machine, and they actually have him in handcuffs, more or less. And Professor X says, uh, I, can I please read your mind? You know, and Bishop says, do I have a choice? And that's actually, way to go, Bishop, because Professor X, you know... <laughs> Right, Professor. That's just a formality. Professor yeah. X trying to ask him if it's okay. Like he's right. about to do it. He's got the cerebro like helmet coming down yeah. from the ceiling. Yeah, it's all happening. He's in handcuffs. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. And and Professor X is in with just cause to do it too because this guy is a lunatic who just right. smashed Slim. the bus bus into your home. That's yeah. going to cost you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. I tried to, to kill all his X Men friends. <laughs> right. And I think I I actually was a little like I thought it was weird how Professor X needed Cerebro to... I guess he needs Cerebro to project his reading Bishop's mind onto their TV screens so yeah. the other X-Men can see. Mm-hmm. But, like, can Professor X just, like, read Bishop's mind and then simultaneously put what he's reading in Bishop's mind in the heads of his teammates? You know, like, why does he need I don't Cerebro? Know. It seems like the cartoon is still kind of figuring out, like, the breadth of... Right. Professor X's powers. They're, yeah, they're very ill-defined. And same with Jean, and because Wolverine doubts that this, is, he thinks this is all fake. Yeah, the Bishop is purposely like lying in his thoughts, which we've seen Sabretooth do right. <laughs> successfully. <laughs> so, uh, but Jean says, "No, he's genuine. I can sense his feelings." Right, and. and- <laughs> Well, yeah, that's enough, that. though. Like, that's enough for Logan. He, yeah, like, she puts his hand on Logan's soldier, uh, shoulder. Yeah, and he, like, gets his big grin on his a face. A big, goofy like, grin on his right. face. Like, he's, like, really happy. He's, fine. Ju- he's really happy to be touched by Gene, I, I think. Guess. Yeah, He loves when Gene pays attention to him. But it's also, like, Gene's can only sense his feelings. Like, Gene, you're a telepath, too. You can't read his mind as well. I mean, her, she's really, you know, her... She's Maybe really his weak so far. Future mind is too uh, advanced for them to figure out without a little bit of extra help. Who knows? Right, and then you know, I, and we've talked about references. Uh, th- there's a direct reference to Terminator here, which I feel like this episode strongly draws from too. Obviously, yeah. You know, I mean, I, you know, the, the Days of Future Past is based on a comic book, so the X Men have time traveled before to stop assassinations or whatever and keep important people alive. Mm-hmm. And Terminator might have ripped that off. I know James Cameron is a big Marvel fan. I don't know if he was an X Men fan or ripped off Terminator from that, but uh, it's safe to say it's all a big tapestry. Uh, but it, it's just worth pointing out. And uh, it's, you know, at this point they get a warning uh, that um, something else has come through the time portal or used a time machine. And it's Nimrod, who is a futuristic sentinel who's, like, human-sized. He's not, like, the size of a mountain like the other sentinels. Mm-hmm. And he's got, like, a really cool, like, purple jeweled face and a white metallic body. And he hovers wherever he goes. Yeah. And he just kind of like his, he's so incredibly strong. Like he uses energy beams like the other Sentinels, but he kind of bitch slaps like uh, X-Men as he sees them with his energy beam, like a whip, you know, yeah. he extends his arm and the energy goes flying out and just knocks people over. And I guess it, like he kind of has psychic powers oh, almost yeah. because like he buries Storm under this huge pile of rubble right yeah. away. He like makes a, a wall collapse and on her And Bishop says... Nimrod can sense it, you know. When and uh, Jean says she's claustrophobic, we yeah. have to help her. Like yeah. that was a cool moment. Yeah, yeah. Nimrod's very scary. Yeah, it's a, like a terrifying machine of death. Right. And and then they they you know storm freezes him, and that's how they blow him up with all their various energy beams. But you know Cyclops is all happy. It's like we did it. And Bishop's like, no, he's just restructuring. And you see all the tentacles yeah, like, like reassemble. Yeah, a few seconds. Yeah. And, yeah, right. That's another one where you really see robot guts. Yeah. But, it's and pretty cool. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and, and, But you can see how 
deadly Nimrod is that it could rebuild itself after being blown to pieces. It's so terrifying. Yeah. So then comes the exposition. Makes you think about nanotechnology or something. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. But then comes the exposition part where Bishop is like, where Bishop like uh, goes over and blasts his... His his time transponder. Or his his temporal transceiver. That's what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) And, And Bishop says, as long as my temporal transceiver... Is not destroyed. Uh, I stay in the right. Keeps me in the past. Yeah. So in Bishop's case, it's like this. It's like this Apple iWatch he's wearing around his very muscular uh, wrist. And um, and Nimrod, what was it? Was like it was like buried in his head. Yeah. 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 Um. Anyway, so they all return to the X mansion. They're all trying to figure out what to do. Um, Bishop is insisting that one of you is the assassin that you've killed somebody that causes the world to fall to pieces. Uh, Professor X believes him. They all believe him at this point because they've seen and fought Nimrod. And another uh, one little note I thought worth mentioning is uh, Jean says – or Storm – one of them says, like, it could be any of us. And Cyclops says, not Jean, and holds her (laughs) hand very tenderly because he loves her and thinks she's totally innocent. And this is, like, really bizarre. Jean says, like, oh, it could be me. We've all had our dark days. Or I've had my dark days too. Or have you forgotten – and it's like she's talking about the Phoenix saga. Yeah, right. I, mean, I was I was wondering that too. I was like, chronologically, that doesn't make sense. No. I mean, if you're an X Men fan, you know what's gonna happen with her. But well, like, all right. This is how it could make sense. This X Men is the Jim Lee X Men from the '90s, where uh, you know the Phoenix saga took takes place in the past when she was Marvel Girl. In the comics. Mm-hmm. So if the writers of the show were, like, they didn't know they were going to do Phoenix Saga yet at this point, maybe. They're uh, like, this is the future X-Men. The Phoenix Saga happened, you know, in the right, 70s or the 80s. Right, this is backstory. So yeah, yeah. So put so, it in here. Yeah, she's got a really interesting backstory. A backstory yeah. that we'll explain later or yeah. something. Either way, I appreciate the reference, even if it was, like, a mistake. Because, like, obviously later on they're going to do the Phoenix Saga. Yeah, right. But, um, it, and, and if it's not the Phoenix Saga she's referencing, it's all, it hints to... Real interesting past gene anyway, because she's been like rather milk toast to this point. Yeah, and then uh, uh, it's at this point the episode's about to close. Gambit uh, makes his grand entrance. He's like, "Everyone can relax. Gambit has returned." And I, <laughs> that's one of my all-time like top five Gambit lines in the show. As a kid, I rewound that line a hundred times over. I just really? I could not get enough of Gambit's voice in that line in particular. <laughs> it was like music to my ears. He's just so cool. Uh, and it's just this point, Bishop aims his gun in a really awkward manner. He's like, "You're the assassin." Right. I guess and, it all came back to him at that moment. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Once he sees Gambit's face, he knows. Yeah. And um, so the episode ends on a cliffhanger. Right. So, uh, like I said, this to me was a great episode. Um, just so many things going on. Uh, you know, allusions to holocausts or genocide. Uh, Adapting the Days of Future Past comic book in their own unique way, where they've switched out some characters in the comic book. It featured Kitty Pride, um, uh, but a way to introduce like a, a, a more '90s. Well, I guess he's a late '80s mutant, but Bishop into the show, and Bishop becomes like a really major recurring guest star. The writers really like going back to him, and I think it's yeah. like a great I choice. Think, yeah, exactly. He's a strong character. Right, the actor who does his voice really brings a lot of energy to him, uh, and uh, and it's just like, and then just like the lunacy of time travel. Like the, I just love how the X Men are really out on like the far 
edge of the limb of they just don't care about things like the butterfly effect or paradoxes <laughs> or you know destroying the universe like Marty McFly might you know yeah they just like just if they got to travel in time they're gonna travel in time yep. change the past that's Do the mission it takes. yeah and yeah. and this episode you know it's so much from the movies were ripped off like this episode alone I mean obviously the Days of Future Past movie itself but there's like other moments too from the movies that draw from this episode like character beats and just like uh, it's like a it's like a classic great episode and a great way to introduce 10 to 12 year olds to the idea of like post-apocalyptic societies (laughs) (laughs) and time travel (laughs) right and it's just like it's just like the, the ominous tone this episode sets is just like kind of chilling in today's day and age without getting into too many direct parallels but yeah i mean there's just like you know you could just see how you know as the world gets more complex as technology gets more insane as people get more and more divided by fear and partisanship how the slippery slope of freedom liberty and stability and civilization can just slide into a uh, a fire pit of New York City where we live. <laughs> and, yep. And, and that's just, as New Yorkers, that's just always in the back of my mind of just like, you know, any day. <laughs> all us mutants better watch out. Yeah, all us mutants, all us humans. <laughs> like, we really live in a tinderbox here, and it's just kind of scary, you know? Like, um, I don't know. Do you have any last thoughts on this episode? I just kind of <laughs> went on a crazy ramble there. <laughs> no, I think I think we'll leave it there. All right, cool. Um, I'll just <laughs> remind again, uh, please follow us on Facebook, X-Men Task Podcast, Facebook group. Join us. Join the conversation. Uh, talk to us directly. We'll be happy to hear from you. Follow me on Twitter, at Willie Simpson. Um, and follow uh, at X-Men Task, the, uh, the Twitter page for the X-Men writers, Eric and Julia Luald, who uh, are largely responsible for the show. Julia, like we said, wrote this episode. And visit their website, xmentast.com. We are actually featured in their podcast section mm-hmm. of their website, which is very cool of them and very nice of them. Yep. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. So um, until uh, the next episode, Days of Future Past Part 2, that's all we have for today. All right. Good night. Bye. Bye.